0: Let's pray together. Our good and our holy God, today our prayer to you is that you would take worship and your word, and Lord, that you would would mold us and shape us as a potter molds clay. God, make something beautiful and useful with us, we pray. We pray in the strong name of Jesus, saying together, Amen and amen. Please be seated. I'd like to thank Marcus for leading us in our songs this morning. David uh, got sick late in the day, and Marcus agreed to, to lead us this morning late in the day. So we appreciate your willingness to help out this morning, Marcus. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 18 as we continue our sermon series from the summer series uh, about what a mess. God's grace in the real world. Uh, We're talking about different aspects of God uh, forming and shaping and molding us in the world that is uh, in messy situations and scenarios. We talked about messy ministry and messy salvation. And today, uh, the messiness that is spiritual formation. Uh, Now, some of you, your eyes may glaze over at this point, thinking, oh, no, when people start talking about spiritual formation, they leave me out uh, because it seems so esoteric and and, and out there, and that's just not me. No fear, friends. It's not me either. I don't know the difference between a labyrinth and a corn maze, and I really don't want to walk through either one of them. Uh, So we're not talking about specialty boutique religion here. Although that's helpful to some folks. We're talking about down to earth, form Christ in us, rooted in Scripture and the incarnation, stuff of life. The stuff of life. In fact, I love spiritual formation because it comes right out of the Bible. There's this great passage of Scripture. Uh, and It's the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. He's writing the church, and he says to them, I'm in labor again. Now, that's an arresting sentence. He said, I feel like I'm in labor again. Now, this was the world uh, where people uh, watched this and, and paid attention to this in closed quarters. You heard people giving birth from time to time. You saw it. If your wife had a baby, you were close at hand, fetching stuff, helping out. And labor then is like labor now. It was tough, and it was messy, and it was painful. And he said, I'm in labor for you all over again until Christ, until Christ is formed in you. You see, for Paul, this was the end game. This was the the telos. This was the goal of life on this earth and life beyond is to have Christ formed in us. He knew that we were created in the image of God, and and he knew that we had rebelled and sinned, and that that image had been marred, and he knew that in Christ, God was at work reshaping and forming and making us again into the likeness of God jesus that's the goal that that's god's plan for all of us it's not like god just sort of benignly comes along beside us to help us become the best we we want to be no he's got goals for us beyond any goals that we could imagine or think up on our own and his goal for us is that we would progressively progressively look And act and think and feel and live and love and respond more and more and more and more like Jesus. This was the life that Paul wanted to birth in the world through his preaching and his teaching, his encouragement, his direct ministry. This was the life of worship and the Word and the gospel that Christ would be formed in us and God has not given up on this wonderful and messy plan and process for any of us. One of the great images in scripture about God's forming presence in the life of his people is in Jeremiah 18. You've probably read the prophet, the weeping prophet, the one with such a difficult task to preach God's word to a, to a stiff-necked and stubborn people. And again and again, he would deliver the words of God, and again and again, they would look at him with those eyes, and God would say, don't be intimidated by their faces back out there and say it again say it again and he would go out there and he would preach again and teach again and call again and there was one day God God looked at Jeremiah and this is what he said come go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words so I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, and it seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord, just like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel?" At one moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a kingdom or a nation that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, I'm, I'm a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. But, oh, there's that word again. We just keep seeing it, don't we? But they say, it's no use. We will follow our own plans And each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our evil will. Therefore, says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a most horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They burn offerings to a delusion. They have stumbled in their ways in the ancient roads and have gone into bypaths, not the highway. What a powerful scene. What a powerful collection of words. You know, blank ink on white pages. What What a message. What do we observe first that would be helpful? Well, the first thing we see, I think, in this text is that we witness God's persistence in making a people that are both beautiful and useful. He says, go to the potter and watch him work. And so we went. I I can imagine the prophet Jeremiah, he's heard these, these words from God before, but here's a simple invitation to take a break to take a break and to pay attention, to slow down and to observe. He says, watch, and he watched that man. He watched that man come to the wheel, he watched him place his dirty feet on the bottom stone and began to roll it around, picking up speed. He saw him take that, that soft clay he dug and prepared and placed it on there. He saw him work and work and work. He he saw him wipe sweat from his brow. He saw him observe. He saw him getting close. He saw him getting there. He saw something form out of the nothingness. He saw some life. He saw some beauty coming out of the lump that was just chaos moments before. He saw the raw material become something. And then he saw his expression change. He saw something in that clay that would keep that instrument from both use and beauty. He slowed the wheel down. He took it in his hands. He drew it closer. He shook his head. You and I might say, well, clay's plentiful. It's everywhere. It's just dirt and water let's just toss this one out back and move on but not the potter the potter laughed and he went (laughs) tossed some water on it he put those dirty feet back on that wheel and he started spinning again working all the time unwilling to give up on the clay and then the word of the lord came to the prophet you see god is stubborn he's relentless he's tender he's tough he's mean he's strong he's he's gentle he won't quit he won't quit on you You see the persistence here in this imagery. You see the persistence in this story. You hear the persistence in the word of the Lord that came to the prophet Jeremiah. And he kept on working. There's a writer named Roy Blunt Jr. Roy Blunt Jr. is a humorist, a great writer, a bright man. He writes essays and columns. Many of them are published in a journal called Garden and Gun Magazine. Now, Garden and Gun Magazine is written for well-educated, high-dollar rednecks. Uh, I won't name any names, but Jerry Jones gave me my very first subscription to Garden and Gun Magazine. And there's these great articles in there just about life and and stuff. And and Roy writes a a piece at the end of every Garden and Gun Magazine. Uh, Not long ago, he wrote a piece uh, about the mad potter of Biloxi, a man by the name of G.E. Orr. Orr was a potter who lived on the Gulf Coast in the early 1900s. And he, he would go and dig clay out of the creek banks. And he would come and, and he would just focus on that clay. And he made these, these wonderful things. In his lifetime, he was ignored. He was essentially making souvenirs for the people that could not afford to go to Florida. Florida. But then people started paying attention. At the end of his life, he was ignored so much that he just buried what was left of his pottery and quit. But he poured his life into the pottery. Andy Warhol bought some of it later on. A few other famous people. There is an umbrella stand in the Smithsonian Institute made by the mad potter of Biloxi. And somewhere around Biloxi, Mississippi, in the sands, there are, there are pots buried that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. What are you doing here? You got time to get there by the afternoon. <laughs> get to digging, friends. It sounds like fun. But this man, he lost his sanity because he grew so mad, so mad in love with the clay and the art He he put that clay on the wheel. He said, the first time I found, he wasn't introduced to a pottery wheel. He wasn't taught how to throw pottery. He he said, when I found the wheel, I was like a baby duck in the water, uh, just swimming everywhere. I put my hands all around it. And I learned every little part of the wheel. And he learned to dig his own clay. And he would go and dig the clay out of the little creeks around Biloxi and Ocean Springs and past Christiane. And he would bring that clay and he called them his clay babies, and he'd start to work that clay until he made things that no one had ever made before, or anything like some of the greatest pottery in the history of this country. He went mad because he was persistently pursuing the beauty and the usefulness of the common clay. Now God, God is sane by God's standards, but by ours, he's wild. He's wild and wonderful and persistently committed to shaping something out of the raw material that is a broken humanity. The story of salvation, as told in Scripture, is the most inefficient story the world has ever heard. God's not drunk with efficiency like we are because He's madly in love with the world that He's created and has withheld nothing, withheld nothing to restore life to Himself. Did you see that in that story? The wild potter of the universe is at work. And he's at work in your life. It's right there. It's messy. But it's wonderful. That's who he is. Another thing that's helpful for us to observe in the reading of these verses is the genuine nature of the relationship between God and people. Did you get all the ifs and thens? If and then. This is what I'll do and this is how I want you to respond. This is what you do, this is what I'll do. It's, It's a beautiful call and response, invitation and response back and forth between God and humanity. We don't have a picture here that we are marionettes on strings just being moved around for the pleasure of God. We were created by God and for God, but we are not robots or puppets. God would not have it that way. God expresses his sovereignty in such a way that we have actual response and responsibility. We have, well, life. And God has called us and he's invited us and he works in our life. This is where you have to move from the imagery of the clay to the teaching of the prophet. We're not just lumps of dirt. We're lumps of dirt that have been breathed upon by a creative and a beautiful God and commanded to live. He made us alive. We ain't got no strings. He cut them and gave us life. And we're responsible. And we're invited. And he set things up in such a way that we can look him squarely in his beautiful eyes and say, No! We learned that early in life, didn't we? It's part of our condition. No! Look him dead in the eyes and say no. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet, and, and in verse 12, they said, No! It's no use. We'll not respond to the potter. Instead, instead we'll follow our own plans. I want you to allow that this is possible. You see, friends, everything that you're doing right now in life Don't come to the place where you think that everything is sanctioned and endorsed by your Creator. No. No. Again and again, we say no to His purpose and His plans and His passion and His desires for us. Again and again, we resist the the pressure and the touch and the movement of His crafting hands. Again and again. Again and again. We speak out that word. No. I'm so lucky you're not God. And you're lucky I'm not. Because we wouldn't abide people that treated us that way. We just wouldn't do it. You've given dogs away that have behaved like that. But God. around. He keeps touching us. And this text not only shows us the possibility of the no, but it opens us up to the, to the thunder of the yes. How do, we, how do we listen and respond? How do we participate with God in the formation and the, the reformation of His likeness in our life? What can we do? Let me suggest a few things. Number one is that we can remember God. Throughout Scripture there are these commands, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, remember, remember, remember. Second grade, Popper Springs Elementary School, parent-teacher conference, Miss Stewart, I'll never forget her. She was mean as a freight train off the tracks. But a great teacher. She told told my mother, Matt's a bright student and he would do so much better if he would just check his work. And so my mother, she didn't read the books, she just was kind of winging it, you know. She took a black magic marker and she put a check mark on my hand for a week. She said, when you see that, you remind yourself to check your work. Sometimes I still look down at my hand and I see it glowing (laughs) off, off of me. In the Old Testament, God's people were told to put strings on their clothes. Why? Because God has no fashion sense? No, because we're prone to forget. And here in this text... God said, oh, my goodness, they've forgotten. They, they forget me. And they burn their incense to a delusion. You say, that's dumb. We all did it last week. We all bow our knee to dumb stuff. They forgot me. They forgot me. Miroslav is a is a theologian. He was raised in Yugoslavia. His father was a Pentecostal preacher, uh a small family in a, in a small country in the minority of the minorities. Everybody around him was either part of the Orthodox Church or Atheist. A few other groups, but by far their group was the smallest. And his dad was the pastor. And, and, and month after month, they would worship. Week after week, they'd worship. And, and on the first Sunday of the month, they'd have the Lord's Supper. Volf said that there was a guy from another town, maybe the only Pentecostal in that town, uh, who would come from another city once a month to have the Lord's Supper at their church. So hungry for the table. And then after church, every week, uh, he would be invited to the Volf's home to have lunch. Because Volf's parents didn't believe that you should come uh, and celebrate the table and just have to figure it out on the way home. So they they invited this guy month after month after month after month to their house. Well, Volf was this little guy. He's this young guy, and he's just sitting there watching all this happen. Uh, The thing about this guy was that he was not a classy gentleman. He was something of a brute. He had a a mustache that Volf describes as rivaling Nietzsche's. Nietzsche's. This big, bushy mustache. And Volf said that his mother made the best soup the world had ever seen. It was was like art and magic. It was just amazing. He said everything that was served before the soup was was disappointing once you reached the soup. And everything after the soup was a letdown once you'd had the soup. The soup was the meal. I mean, this was his meal, his mama's soup. You all have that meal in your mind. Your grandmother's cornbread, your grandfather's brisket. The soup for Volf was the thing. Well, this guy almost ruined the soup because the soup, to get to his stomach, had to pass through that mustache. And so he's eating this soup and he's making little, you know, openings. And sometimes he's just slurping soup straight through facial hair. And he's making these odd noises like... <laughs> and Wolf is just watching this man eat his mama's soup and he's disgusted and he's angry... He's ruining my mom's soup. I mean, here he was to celebrate the supper of the Lord, and he's destroying the supper that counted for a young Miroslav Volf. He said it was, in, it was never any use. There was no use in ever bringing this up to mom and dad because they always said the same thing. He is a brother. He came here to sit at the supper of our Lord. The wounds of Jesus opened up him to us and us to him and him to our table. And then they would say something like this. And one day we're going to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb and you're going to sit with him there. Don't you want to be there? If you want to be there, you got to learn how to be here. You see what the mom and dad, Pentecostal preachers were teaching that young boy, they were teaching him how to remember and how to wonder, how to dream and how to root their lives in the revelation of God in Christ. Calling them, calling them to the way. As Christian people who are being formed by God, we need to remember the Lord, what he has done for us, what he will do for us, and what he has promised in this moment. And that makes a tremendous difference as we live our life, as we are being shaped and molded in the pressures of life by a God of grace, so we can remember. A second thing, if, if you like alliteration, is that we can remain Jesus talked about abiding in the vine. We can stay near God. We can stay in our lane. Two images that Jeremiah used. He said, does does water leave the crags? If you go to northern Lebanon, you see the snow melt coming down the same, the same little rivulet that it's come down for thousands of years. The water melts and flows through the same course, year after year after year after a year it stays in its place he said there's those highways that you travel on yet my people they get lost off on the byways off on the sides they get out of, out of bounds not long ago Meredith and I were driving down I-20 it, it was raining hard we were in the little light Ford car and we hit a hit a puddle and we started to spin slowly we, we started to spin. Three, three rounds we made it. I thought at any moment that car was going to flip. I said, Mary, this is bad. In the moment, we were very calm. I said, Mary, this is bad. And she said, it's going to be all right. And she said it in a way that she was speaking of ultimate things. We landed in the ditch. Alive and well, covered in mud. Then we freaked out. In life, there are times when you hit a skid and you spin out of control and you leave the water course, you leave the road. And then there are times in life where we go looking for it, where we go hunting out a way other than the way that's been laid out before us. Jason Isbell is one of the brightest young songwriters, I think, alive right now. He was successful way too early. Dr. Garland used to tell me, he said, I pray for my students that they will not find success too early. He's prayed that for me. I'm sorry it's taking so long, guys. I'm, I'm sorry. He's still working on me, you know, that kind of deal. But this guy, he found pay dirt early. In his early 20s, he was touring with guys in their late 30s and early 40s. Incredibly Successful. He was burning up his life on on bottom-shelf bourbon and cocaine. He met a bright, young fiddle player from Mineral Wells, Texas. And she said, Jason, I love you, but I can't love this. I can't live with this. you got to change if we're going to have a life together. He went to rehab, he he sought a new life. Day by day, he found sobriety, he found health. He wrote an album, the Southeastern album, some of the strongest lyrics that I have ever heard. There's a song on that album, it's it's called Flying Over Water, and here's, here's a line from it. It says, from the sky, the highway, straight as it could be, a string pulled tight from home to Tennessee, and still somehow those ditches took a better part of me. From the sky, the highway, straight as it could be. Have the ditches taken a better part of you? Like Israel, like Judah, have you found yourself off on the byways? Off the path? Walker Percy in the opening lines to The Last Gentleman wrote, Lucky is the man who does not secretly believe that every possibility is open to him. Every possibility is not open to you. Every side road is not a good invitation. God has laid out a path. He's cut a crag for your life to flow through and it's mature to learn how to color artfully inside the lines we can remember him we can remain what happens when we don't because we don't we like sheep Go astray. What do we do then? Well, since you love alliteration, here's one more R. We can repent. Oh, I know it's an old fashioned religious word, but man, it's a good one. It just means turn around and and leave the worship of the delusions to come back to a living and a good God who is wild. About you and forming Christ in you if we learn anything from King David it's how to come back to God and it's that God and his stubbornness won't throw us away one of my favorite one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 32 a few weeks ago in my own devotional time God just pressed it down into my heart again and I offer you these words listen to them prayerfully as we prepare to pray and sing. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. From day and night your hand hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all those who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty water shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Now here's the response of God. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you, upright in heart. You pour out your heart to God, and God says, "I love you. I will lead you in the path that I have for you." And then he'll throw with this free of charge. Don't act like a mule. They're hard headed and stubborn, and they got to be pulled around or they'll run off. Don't be a mule. Be a man, a woman that's after my heart. That is spiritual formation a stubborn, wild, creative, artistic God, and men and women that respond with a yes to his invitation. What will you do this week with this God? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for a chance to worship you in this place. We thank you for a chance to sing and to pray and to hear your word. Lord, as we come to a time of confession and surrender uh, and decision, I pray that all of us, Lord, will renew our way to your way. And Lord, I pray for any in this room that would make... the the private commitments of their heart public, that they would do so today uh, for your glory and for their good. Lord, be with us as we sing and commit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, please stand. Stand together as we sing.